folks. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And I am excited uh, to chat with everybody today about Peyton Watson. What's up, Abel? Uh, thanks for hopping in, Cedric. My guy, what's going on? Thank you to the regulars for hopping in and saying hello. Uh, obviously, this is an interesting time of year where uh, on this last podcast, I chatted about football even and, and wasn't necessarily focused too heavily. I, I talked about the basketball, obviously, but focused a little bit about what's going on in the rest of the sports world. So there's a lot of it to cover, and I want to make sure uh, we have plenty of stuff to talk about. Uh, but Peyton Watson's the main topic today because there's a lot with this Nuggets rotation that is still unsettled, and we will get into that in just a little bit. Um, Cedric says, surprised that we're discussing Peyton as the main topic today. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't really have a ton of rhyme and rhyme or reason for picking him today. I really just wanted to talk about Peyton Watson and thought that this was the right time to do it, at least. Because, look, there, there's not a ton going on. And I think that when you get an interesting player like Peyton Watson, he is, I think, a very large swing factor for the Nuggets this year. And we'll be talking about some other things, too. But... Uh, like the new rest policy. I've got some takes. I've got some games that people should be watching out for and how the Nuggets might be affected. Uh, We're going to talk about Serbia and lots of the Jokic videos that have been popping up lately. But first, let's cover Peyton. Two segments today. Peyton Watson's the first one. I wanted to chat about Peyton as leading off this podcast for that reason. Like 30th overall pick in the last draft, 2022, not this past one. And he spent most of the season last year in the G League. And I want to make sure to communicate this number once again. It's 200 total minutes between 186 regular season minutes and 14 playoff minutes that Peyton Watson played for the Denver Nuggets last year. That is what everybody's basing the hype on. That is what everybody is generating their feel. There is some stuff from Summer League. There's some stuff from the G League. And I don't want to dismiss that. I don't. But based off of his stretch at the end of last season, I think a lot of people have this belief that Peyton Watson's going to be that next young guy. He's going to be that guy who turns the tide for the second unit and is a surprise, not necessarily a disappointment. And it's based off of 200 minutes. It really is. And that is a very small sample size. But I am going to talk about it. I am going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like in the previous podcasts where I gave Reggie Jackson and Justin Holiday and guys like that the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to talk about Peyton Watson and why I believe he will be, not just has a possibility to be, but I think why he will be in the rotation this year, either as the seventh or eighth man behind the starters and Christian Brown, depending on how the rest of the rotation stacks up. I think that Peyton Watson has that level of potential and that level of impact that he could provide for a veteran championship caliber Nuggets roster, which is crazy because Peyton Watson is in, I think, his age 21 season. So it is a lot to put on a young fella, but I think that he's ready for it. As I mentioned, though, 
200 total minutes in the NBA this last year, 186 during the regular season, and only 14 during the playoffs. Let me just pull up his game log so I can give people the the proper numbers. Uh, In his final few games, uh, this nine-game stretch that I'm talking about where he played eight of those games, he played over half of those minutes. Very clearly over half. I think it might have even been like three quarters of the minutes that we are talking about here. And so that is why so many people are excited. But up until that ending stretch, nobody knew what Peyton Watson was going to be. Nobody nobody had any expectations for Peyton Watson. And then you get into these final nine games, like because the entire time he had been in the G League, the entire time he was a an afterthought when you're like talking about a playoff rotation for for. For, like there was just nothing there. And so the last nine games really changed things. Denver was kind of already locked into their playoff seeding, although they kind of messed around and took a little bit more time than they should have to actually clinch that postseason or that number one seed. And during these final nine games, you saw some uh, big changes with Peyton Watson and the amount of time that he was actually playing. Uh, let me just See if I can pull up the actual uh, thing here. There we go. Final nine games of the season for Peyton Watson. Just going through the game log, game by game. In those first three games, he played three minutes, zero minutes, and two minutes. Three minutes of garbage time in Milwaukee or versus Milwaukee at the end of that game, and then another two minutes of garbage time versus the New Orleans Pelicans on March 30th. And going back and looking at the quotes going back and looking at what people were saying about Peyton Watson, that was the reason that Michael Malone and the coaching staff decided, yeah, you know, let's give him a look. It was because he played well in those garbage time games. So I included them in this sample. And then in that March 31st game at Phoenix, you sit basically your entire starting lineup outside of Aaron Gordon, I believe. Or, or it might have been uh it might have been Michael Porter Jr. It was one of those two. Everybody sits outside of those guys and Peyton Watson plays 27 minutes, grabs eight rebounds, and plays some good defense. Has a couple blocks, defends Kevin Durant and Devin Booker about as well as can be asked of from a young guy like him. Didn't play great in the actual like offensive side of the offensive side of the floor, but did enough that going to give him another opportunity. And then it was that Golden State game where he closed the game on April 2nd, and had three blocks against Stephen Curry himself, along with some dunks, along with some rebounds, and some good defense on the perimeter, that it actually, like, he was the player of the game in that game. And it was really cool to see. That was one where everybody's wondering, what is Denver going to do without Nikola Jokic? And in comes Peyton Watson, and basically operates as the backup power forward, backup center in some of those small ball lineups. And he does a great, great job. And you look at that. Okay, so plus three in that game. That's great. Then against Houston, plays another 18 minutes, plays well. 10 points. Second most points in that stretch. Then he plays against Phoenix again. And has less success this time around. Only plays 26 minutes again, but plays against Kevin Durant and Devin Booker again. And those guys have a little bit more success against him specifically. But the Nuggets with him on the floor still played pretty well. There's only a minus six when the entire Phoenix starting lineup is out there. And it gave a lot of Nuggets fans confidence that they could face the Phoenix Suns. And 
that turned out to be pretty prophetic. Then against Utah, second game, second to last game of the season, has four assists, doesn't really shoot that much, but also has another three blocks, does some great stuff without scoring the basketball. And the final game, scored his most points, uh, a higher usage game for sure, made some more mistakes, but uh, still did some good things. And in all of those games, I think you could highlight some different aspects of his game that he showed. Against Milwaukee, he was shooting the three ball well. Against Phoenix, he was playing perimeter defense well. Against Golden State, interior defense and rim rolling. Against uh, Houston, he was doing well in transition. Against Utah, he switched on to Chris Dunn a couple times and blocked him into oblivion. And against Sacramento, he was just very, very aggressive. So I liked what I saw from Peyton that year, or at the end of last year. Enough so that he and basically put himself on the map for, should he be playing playoff games? He was, like, people were talking about him as a playoff option. And that was ludicrous if you had just asked that question three weeks before. So, a great opportunity for Peyton at the end of the season. And it gave Denver enough reason, I think, to believe in him going into this year. So, those games flipped the script. I do firmly believe that. And it gave him some confidence. It gave the Nuggets some confidence. He only played two games in in Summer League this year. And Denver saw enough. They saw enough from him. They didn't need him to play more. I think he has shown at least enough to go into this upcoming regular season with an opportunity to make an impact. So I am looking forward to seeing what he does. And I think that there is a an absolute strong opportunity that he is in the rotation from day one and just never leaves. The other is obviously possible too, where somebody else outplays him or Watson plays and doesn't play well, and then Denver has to make some tough decisions. But for this reason and for this last year, I think there's at least a a strong possibility that he makes an impact. So those are the numbers. And here are five Peyton Watson comparisons that I want to throw out there. This one has grown some uh, has grown some legs over the course of the past few weeks. Crash Gerald Wallace. Um, Gerald Wallace made his bones in with the Charlotte Bobcats. Did some great things for Charlotte. Was an athletic, versatile, defensive focused small forward, and played that way and played with the aggressiveness on the perimeter that made him hell to go against for so, so long. Uh, In that same vein, the non-shooting version of him, the non-ball handling version of him, is Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who was drafted second overall by um, the Charlotte Bobcats. And that didn't work out as well as Crash. It just didn't. And his lack of shooting was a problem. Now, Peyton Watson has shot the ball well uh, from the three-point line during this past year. But as we saw with Zeke Naji, and as we've seen with a bunch of players in like small sample size opportunities in the garbage time versus when they're being game planned for, shooting can vary. Shooting can absolutely vary. And I would absolutely have at least a little bit of concern of uh, like, Let's just let's just wait and see what the shooting looks like because that was one of his weaknesses coming out of the draft, and one two hundred minute sample size is not going to change my mind on that. So I think that the shooting is to be determined. 
Uh, Jonathan Kaminga is another name that I will throw out there as a player who is young, who is athletic, who can roll to the rim as a six foot eight player as opposed to uh, a seven footer, uh, who has that versatile physical skill set that I think we're talking about here that Golden State used last year and played in a very similar way to, I think, how Peyton Watson is going to play for Denver this year. So that is at least one to think about. Kaminga has done some good things, has played some good defense, has uh, put together some performances where he's helped Golden State win. But in the end, he was not in the final rotation at the end because he wasn't really trustworthy enough. So there's something to be said there. Jada McDaniels is another player who has grown his game enough and matured his game enough to fit in around what other players are doing. And he could be a 3 and D forward, can guard point guards, can guard centers, can be versatile all over the floor, and has enough offensive game individually that he can hold up as a starter. And so this is, I think, what a lot of people would hope Peyton Watson turns into. And Derek Jones Jr. is the final name. A guy who operates as how Jonathan Kaminga operates, just an above-the-rim leaper. Uh, Peyton Watson doesn't have Derek Jones' athleticism, but it's a little bit different. This is if the ball handling never really manifests. I think that the ball handling will manifest with a guy like Peyton Watson, but I'm not sure there's a player in the league right now that you can say, oh yeah, this is what happens if he can handle the ball like a star. Maybe it's Paul George, but that's what the shooting being as good as it possibly can be. So I'm very curious to see who everybody else thinks uh, Peyton Watson's going to be. Because there's a wide range of outcomes here. I didn't like the first name that came to mind in terms of what I think the vision for Peyton Watson would be is Andre Kirilenko, a versatile six foot eight, six foot nine, shot blocking power forward, small forward type who has enough versatility as a playmaker and as a passer and as an offensive player that he can hold up in basically every system. I thought that that was, that comp was a disservice to Peyton Watson and it's a disservice and kind of insulting to Kirilenko and how good he was. Like Kirilenko one year averaged three blocks a game. So I don't think the Peyton Watson's going to be that. But that's what they're going to want to try to get him to be. And if he was that, then holy hell, would he be one of the greatest defensive players in the league and one of the most valuable players possible for this Denver Nuggets team between Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, where those guys are awesome. Oh, here's another good one uh, from Chris Iguodala. Like that is a good style that I think you'd be looking for. But like you said, it's a bit of a reach, might be a disservice to those guys to compare them to each other. However, Peyton Watson is treating himself like a star. He's treating himself and his development like a player who can develop into that star level type. Iguodala was a star. He wasn't quite on the LeBron James level. And I think the athleticism gap and the ultimate aggressiveness gap uh, was a big difference there. But could Peyton Watson be Andre Iguodala one day? Sure. I don't know. (laughs) He's going to like he's a very cerebral defender, very cerebral player. And that might be within the cards. Uh, So I don't want to dismiss it offhand, but I do think that there is a, like, that's another good one. So a couple more things here. Is Peyton Watson ready? Is he actually ready to make an impact? 
During this last year, he was 20 years old for pretty much the entire time. This year, he is going to be 21 for pretty much the entire time. And it's just very rare for players that young to make an impact, let alone a bunch of players that young in a rotation to make that kind of impact. Peyton Watson's going to be the youngest player on the team this next year, despite the fact that they brought in three rookies on the main roster. So I am very curious to see what he ultimately turns into, what it actually looks like with him, and whether he is ready to handle uh, a defense that targets him a little bit, a defense that understands his skill set and is actually game planning for Peyton Watson, not necessarily just for uh, this guy is kind of a fill-in at the end of the bench. Uh, That is a big deal. It's a big difference in how teams are going to approach it. And the expectations on Watson are way higher this year than they were last year for that reason. So I'm very curious to see how he handles it. Couple lineups then that make the most sense for Watson that I've been thinking about. The main bench lineup that I think Denver might try, given that Vlaco Chanchar is now out with a torn ACL. Reggie Jackson. Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Michael Porter, and Zeke Naji. I think that Michael Porter is going to want to play a little bit more, and the Nuggets are going to need some scoring. So they're going to try to stagger him, and it makes sense to play him next to Peyton Watson. Those guys, I think, make a lot of sense as a duo. Uh, they have the size and athleticism to really complement each other. The rebounding will be great. Uh, the athlete, like The open court nature of a lineup like this would be great. And Michael Porter can space the floor so that... Peyton Watson doesn't necessarily have to. The other kind of combination here, Jamal Murray, Julian Strother, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Zeke Naji. That is more of a defensive front court with Christian Brown, Watson, and Naji all there. And then Strother is your spacer. And then instead of playing a backup point guard, Jamal then staggers with the second unit. And he runs those lineups. I like the idea of a Jamal, Peyton Watson pick and roll. And it'll get a little bit weird, and they're going to have to work on it, and they're going to have to be creative. But if Jamal wants to be an all-star, if he wants to actually do that and have enough opportunities where he can be that, he's got to play more pick and roll with the second unit. And I think that Peyton Watson is a more dynamic roller than Zeke Naji because he can either pick and pop, or he can create off the dribble if he does get fed the ball on the short roll, or he can go over the top. Probably a little bit better than Zeke even can. So I'm very curious to see about that lineup. Next, Jamal, KCP, Peyton Watson, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon. This is a very similar lineup to the one that went up against the Golden State Warriors, where you have three starters in, or actually four starters, basically, and you're going small ball. Peyton Watson makes sense in a small ball group because he is big enough to switch a bunch of different positions. He is versatile enough to switch a bunch of different positions, and he can operate as the center at times. Or Aaron Gordon can operate as the center a little bit more frequently than he did last year. I like that idea, and I think the Peyton Watson would really fit in like that. Another lineup, Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Hunter Tyson, Nikola Jokic. What if Joker's the guy who staggers a little bit more? What if this is just a lineup where Okay, you know that the four bench guys are going, or the three primary bench guys are going to be Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson. Hunter Tyson might be one of them. And then you go 10-man after Joker comes off the floor, and then you go to Zeke Naji. 
But in the meantime, this is a lineup that could go for a couple minutes here or there. And Peyton Watson could be like receiving outlet passes from Nikola Jokic. That seems like a great idea. And the final one. What if he's just with the starters at that shooting guard spot? Uh, there's a conversation that Swipe Cam and I have uh, that is going to be shared at some point where he floats this lineup as an idea. Jamal Murray, Peyton Watson, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. Big group, big physical group. And I think that group has enough size and athleticism. Uh, and Peyton Watson as a uh, back-cutting shooting guard who can guard the point guard spot and then just do everything that he needs to do as a role player on the offensive end to fit in, that is a great place for him to succeed. So there is something there. I don't know if that's what it's ultimately going to be, but if Peyton Watson does hit, then it wouldn't be the worst way to start out games. Not going to lie, that seems like a great idea uh, to throw other teams out of whack and you can get some easy baskets with a six foot eight shooting guard setting back screens and cutting and rolling to the rim in a 5-2 pick and roll. That sounds like a great idea. So who knows? Who knows what we're going to actually see? But I do like the idea of Peyton Watson here. I think that he is going to be a nice kind of Swiss army knife for how Michael Malone wants to use him. He is a more versatile player than Christian Brown. Christian Brown to me is a locked in kind of three and D shooting guard who fills his role and is going like he probably is a better replacement for Kentavious Caldwell Pope than he is for Bruce Brown. Peyton Watson to me is the replacement for Bruce Brown where he does a lot of different things and can be used in a lot of different ways. The question is whether he's ready and I think that he will be, but it might take some time. So be patient with him. And if you're, if you're a Nuggets coach, be patient with him. That would be very, very interesting. All right. Tell you what. Let's actually uh, welcome CT. Really like Watson as a forward combo with Strother and MPJ to complement them defensively. Totally agree. That is, I, I didn't bring up that lineup specifically, but that is a good combination as well. Uh, the one that I brought up was Jamal staggering with the second unit and then sliding Watson to the four and having CB out there. But uh, hey, I mean, the good thing about the Nuggets bench right now is that they've got a ton of optionality. It's just I'm not sure which of those options are actually going to come to the forefront quite yet. We are just going to have to see. So we will see. Good to see you, CT. Uh, when we come back, we are going to chat about the rest penalties and the rest policy and then Serbian party time. <laughs> There's a lot that's been going on in Serbia since the beginning of the week. But first, folks. Why are you betting with the big boys this football season? There's no reason to. Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. They are just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus, of a $250 bonus whenever you sign up. All you got to do is make sure to sign up for that and place a wager uh, of up to $250. And when you do that, when you sign up and wager in the same day using promo code MILEHIGH, they're going to give you that bonus. So bet with the best and use the promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. 
cat pickaxe and roll. I don't know if you guys can hear. My roommate's cat is uh, is currently meowing outside the door with his uh, baritone meow. You can definitely uh, cut through glass. So uh, hopefully that doesn't come up on the podcast, but it probably will. Um, all right. Good conversation about Peyton here. Let us wrap up this second segment with some conversation about... Actually, uh, before we get to that, uh, I saw a comment earlier. Uh, when does weekends with Swiper return? We are still uh, trying to come up with the right schedule for Swiper and I. We recorded a bunch of offline content while he was out while he was out here in Denver. So a lot of that is going to come over the course of these next, I don't know, couple weeks. Maybe maybe a little bit more delayed after that, just kind of leading up into the preseason. But we've got some things in the pipeline. The actual weekends with Swipe Us show will probably be a regular season thing. But who knows? Maybe we'll start that up in the preseason. Uh, we are still trying to work some things out, iron some things out. And uh, who knows? Like maybe, uh, maybe it becomes a little bit more permanent than even just one episode a week. We'll just have to see. All right. The NBA over the week, uh, the beginning of the week, basically agreed to new rest penalties for stars. And this was something that they've been in the pipeline for for a long time that they've been talking about in trying to get players to play more frequently. And I love it because it's one of the worst feelings in the world when you are, let's say you're a casual NBA viewer and you just want to tune into a game. And you realize, okay, I would love to be able to tune into, um, I don't know, Warriors versus Spurs back in 2018. And it's a, a an important game, one versus two in the standings. Oh, these teams are killing it. They're absolutely killing. And okay, well, Kawhi is sitting on one side and the entire Warriors starting lineup is sitting on the other side. And this is a TNT game and now you've got... Um, at that, at that point, gosh, what, what would you even have? DeMarcus Cousins is really shining in that game for the, for the Golden State Warriors. And Jonathan Simmons is shining in that game for the, for the San Antonio Spurs. Nobody really cares. And you lose interest and you lose viewership. And I think the NBA has really seen that. Owners have really seen that. And they are trying to change this. They want to make sure that the stars are playing, especially on national TV. So they are focused on ensuring that no more than one, quote, star is unavailable to play due to rest at any given time. Uh, This is more of a focus on the national games than anything, but this will probably have some effect in the rest of the games too. I know that they are going to focus in a little bit harder on some of the other games, on the national games, especially the, the showcase games for the league, because as the league is trying to do more, as they're trying to make more money, and set up a new media rights deal, they want to make sure that those media companies are watching the players and watching the players that they want to see that provide the best product possible. Um, But the star is the real thing here. That's the real crux of this, at least for uh, if you are a Nuggets fan, if you're watching the Nuggets, if you're considering how this affects the Nuggets. According to the memo set out, a star is considered any all-star or all-NBA player or all-NBA team player from the prior three seasons and anyone named an all-star mid-season. So 
this actually doesn't include Jamal Murray. Despite the fact that he has shown out in the playoffs, that he has done his thing, that he helped the Nuggets win a championship, the only player that's impacted by this is Nikola Jokic. And what this really says to me is that until the middle of the season, until after the All-Star break, the Nuggets do not have to worry about this at all. They don't have to worry about this policy, really, because they have one star, and the policy is about sitting out multiple stars. So this this definitely affects teams like the Clippers or the Warriors or uh, the Celtics or the Bucks or the Suns especially. The Suns are a big one. Uh, focusing on those teams where you got nicks and bruises here or there, but you're like you should still play. You're good enough to play. You can't play in a game, sit out a game, and then play that game, uh, play the next one, because teams are going to be looking at those weird blips. They're going to be looking at those national games, and they're going to be wondering, man, okay, so why did this guy sit out at this specific time? Why didn't he make this trip? Oh, it was just for rest? Okay, we're not a big fan of that. And so the penalties for that are pretty substantial, at least building up. It's going to start at, I think, 25K is what it said, or 50K, one of the two. Then it goes to 100K. Then it goes to 1 million. Uh, oh, no, it's, it's I'm, I apologize. It is 100K, then 250K, then 1 million, and then it increases by a million every single time. So if you include, if you infract, let's say, five penalties, then you're paying 250K uh, or 100K, 250K, 1 million, 2 million, and 3 million. You're paying a lot of money for just rest violations. I don't think the teams are going to want to do that, if, especially as many teams that duck under the tax as often as they do. So this is going to be very interesting. Teams are going to have to take the national game seriously. They're going to have to take the in-season tournament game seriously, or at least they're going to have to play their stars. There's a difference between playing the stars and those stars taking it seriously, which may be the next step with all this is like, okay, how are we going to affect the in-game tanking, where Jokic says, I don't really feel like shooting in this game. I don't think there's anything a team or the NBA can do to legitimately like figure that out, but it is going to be interesting to see. So, number four on this, uh, you must actually maintain a balance between resting stars on the home and road games. That is a big deal, because a lot of teams, they'll just not send guys on road trips. Uh, they'll say, hey, Stay here, stay home, get healthy, or or you're dealing with something very, very minor, or we just want to have an excuse to sit you. Uh, they will sit on a one-game road trip. So I think that's very interesting. And the last one is refraining from the long-term shutdowns of a player, especially later in the season. Uh, this is the Oklahoma City Thunder rule to me, where Al Horford did this one year, Shea Gilgis-Alexander was technically injured, but he also was shut down one season. Uh, there have been other players, not necessarily for just the Thunder, but like Bradley Beal was the example used this last year. And like that makes a lot of sense. Like you're just going to shut down a guy so you could get a better draft pick. Teams do not want to see that anymore. So going to be interesting to see how teams circumnavigate that because they will, but it is at least something to think about. Okay. How do these policy changes affect the Nuggets specifically? As I mentioned, not a ton of games that you can really factor in. I think that Jamal Murray might be a special case with the NBA because he is so clearly like defined as a star, despite the fact that 
he has no All-Stars or All-NBA appearances. So I circled some games that I think, like I circled eight games on the calendar throughout the year that I thought, okay, this could be an actual game that maybe they're, maybe Denver's affected that by. Maybe they have to play a guy that they weren't going to in that game. Maybe they have to uh, take an infraction in a game because they want to rest players at a specific time. Most of these are associated with back-to-backs. Uh, November 27th at the Clippers, that's on national, or that's on NBA TV. Also an important distinction. Does NBA TV count as national TV? I think it does. So if you're on NBA TV, like even if you can't watch them here in Denver, everybody else could still watch them nationally. So that is a that's something that Nuggets fans probably will be pretty annoyed by throughout the year. Uh, so November 27th at the Clippers is on NBA TV. December 2nd at the Kings on Nash, on uh, NBA TV. That is on a back-to-back. Uh, the game before that is at the Suns on ESPN. So you better be- or it's on ESPN or TNT. So better believe that the Nuggets will be having to play in that game, which means that they'll be affected in the next one that's on national TV. December 22nd at the Nets on NBA TV. January 4th at the Warriors on TNT. I think that is the front end of a back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken. So Denver will have to play their guys in that guaranteed, and then they might sit their own guys at home. January 31st at the Thunder on ESPN. February 29th versus the Heat on TNT. That is the second night of a back-to-back. I can guarantee that. March 27th versus the Suns on ESPN. That is at the end of a stretch of games that Denver's played. They go uh, basically every other day for a long, long time. And that is the first like kind of national TV game at the end of that stretch. So that's one that I'd be watching. And then April 10th versus the T-Wolves. That's game 80 of the season. So look, those are the games. If you're interested in buying tickets or if you're interested in watching, those are the ones that I think... I don't know about that one, guys. Probably avoid those if you are a watcher, if you are trying to bet on some of these games, if you're trying to figure out, okay, what is the right circumstance for the Nuggets to win and to be successful? Um, Those are ones where it's going to get weird. So I would worry about that. Uh, But mostly, Denver's not too affected by this resting policy unless Jamal Murray is voted in as an all-star during the middle of the season, which he might be. He might be like he averages 22, 6, and 5 or something like that. Uh, They will probably, like the Western Conference coaching staffs will probably vote him in. And that would not surprise me. So Denver might have different rules applied for rest on the first half versus the second half of the season or pre versus post All-Star break. Should be interesting. The final thing that I wanted to talk about, Serbia is currently partying its ass off. They are... They're having a grand old time, and deservedly so. They have been awesome. And this last weekend, where the Serbian national team gets a silver medal, Novak Djokovic brings home the trophy for the U.S. Open. Uh, This was a pretty epic weekend, this last weekend for Serbia. And they were partying. They were were absolutely partying when when both of those parties got back, the Novak Djokovic and then the Serbian national team. There was a big, massive gathering to celebrate both parties. And it was very, very cool to see. Um, Serbia is absolutely killing it when it comes to these celebrations. They value these national opportunities so, so much. And you you just have to love it. Like, that is a big, big deal 
Um, and it's why when Nikola Jokic doesn't play, why so many people are in my mentions as upset as they are that he isn't playing for the national team. But I will say, there's a lot of pictures and video of Jokic partying during that time and partying with both Novak Djokovic and the Serbian national team at those same parties. So I don't see there being any ill will. I think the Jokic wants to have, like, he wants the success for his country and for his teammates as much as anybody else. It's why I have sympathy for him specifically because he's played so much more basketball than just about anybody else in the world in the last four to five years. So he is exhausted and needed this time, needed to not commit for eight to 10 weeks of his life during his summer vacation after going into mid-June. So I am not surprised that he was partying. I, I think that he wants that success as much as anybody else. And I think he's going to play in the Paris Olympics. I do. I said this last time on, on Monday. I don't think that this has changed. I think that he is going to play. And I think he's very excited for the opportunity to play. And that will be a cool thing. That'll be a very, very cool thing for Serbia. Be a very cool thing for Nikola. And the idea of him going up against the best of the best from Team USA. Tantalizing stuff. Absolutely tantalizing. And the final thing. I don't know if you guys saw the, but PJ Dozier signed for uh, Partizan, I believe. Uh, local Serbian basketball team in Belgrade. Uh, actually, not just local, like one of the biggest clubs in the entire world, if we're being honest, outside of the NBA. And some of the visuals from this from his debut were just unbelievable. I quote tweeted one of them from Harrison Wind, who uh, who's just who pulled it from I think the official team account there. The fireworks and the uh, like, just pyrotechnics, the smoke, the vo- like, the absolute noise that's going on there. Uh, it is a different environment. And when Jokic says that he doesn't get bothered by American like road crowds because he's played in Serbia, you better know why, <laughs> and you definitely know why when you see stuff like that. Serbian fans are absolute fiends for this kind of stuff. And for live events, live sporting events, they go absolutely ballistic. And that is part of the culture. And it is a cool part of the culture to celebrate that as much as they do. So really good stuff from PJ Dozier. Glad he found a home for Partizan and he like in Belgrade. And he is going to have an absolute blast, I hope. They're going to love him out there. And I think the Dozier's game actually pairs really, really well with the international game because he's athletic, but he's also cerebral and can also see the court really well. Just going to be very versatile, very helpful, and I'm just looking forward to seeing if he can have that success. Should be should be really cool. Shout out South Carolina, PJ Dozier. All right, folks, I think that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I do genuinely appreciate it, obviously. You could be doing anything on your Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights, and you are choosing to hang out with me. Uh, if you missed part of that PJ, uh, that Peyton Watson conversation, then make sure to go check it out. Uh, this was a really good one. Uh, this was really, really fun. I love being able to do this, and I, this was part six of the 20 questions series. I don't think I actually said that, but... 
uh, this is one thing that I like to do every year. So now I'm transitioning it to the podcast as opposed to in the uh, visual medium, the writing medium. So if you have any other questions you want me to cover that I haven't covered already, uh, drop them down in the comments below. Make sure to hit the like button on the way out. Subscribe to the YouTube or to the Apple Podcast Spotify audio version. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I'll talk to you guys very soon.